Ireland, Terry. Hi, my name is Arsene and Alex, and it's great to be here. Um, I was busy writing my notes there for the last while, and spent the morning on the beach for an hour or two, and uh, brought back memories of how fantastic a place Hawaii is. I've been here before, a few, uh, five years before, four, five years ago, five years before that, uh, not for a convention, but through Narcotics Anonymous, it made it possible for me to be here. In fact, I nearly stayed here and never went home. Um, for all my sins, I'm a workaholic as well. and still de- trying to de- use the program to deal with that defect. And uh, I spent six weeks in Hawaii about ten years ago. It was the longest hol- vacation I'd ever taken. So um, after about the second or third week, you really get into the island and... Um, Aloha and hang loose, and I was hanging so loose I knew he wasn't going to go home. Um, anyway, I went home and made a lot of money, so maybe God was guiding me, um, and things were good in Ireland for a few years, but I've always, my heart has always been in Hawaii and coming back to Hawaii. And someday, one of my dreams is to sort of maybe spend certainly part of my time here. Um, the, the work, the topic, learning to love ourselves and others. I said I had to read over it a number of times because even though I was speaking here today, people were sorry, um, people were saying to me, you know, what's the topic? And I said, learn my, love myself, love others, whatever. I, I was a speaker and I, still, I must have taken that uh, timetable thing out about 50 times. I still could never find the page. And I, my own, you know, um, in fact, even when I was walking up here, I was checking my pockets. I'm sure I forgot something, you know. I have no sense of direction and I have no sense of memory with certain things. But um, with time, I've just learned to accept that's just the way I am, you know. And uh, it doesn't bother me so much. Um, learning to love ourselves uh, and others. I'd written down a little thing that I'd heard somewhere. I don't know where, don't know when. But something that changed how I felt when I heard it and when I said it to myself and something that was suggested that I say to myself they like you can say it there to yourself it's sort of a little mantra where you can take it away which you maybe use it but what it did for me was it changed my understanding of it gave me an understanding I suppose on a feeling on a spirit level of, of what love was something that I didn't really understand I think certainly I had great difficulty trying to discover what this big word was which you read about everywhere but nobody seemed to be able to tell you what what it was or um, how to get a handle on it really Um, but it was I am loved, I am loving, I am love Um, and it's difficult to say that a number of times and not have yourself feel something shift and you know, I wondered what, like, what was that shift? What, this morning, I was just thinking about it again. What could that shift be? And the shift was that there wasn't other garbage in my mind when I was saying it. I was just repeating something that was totally positive, totally connected to what love was. And I think, anyway, my simple understanding of it is that as a result, I got the feeling, I got the meaning of what 
what it was because I didn't have a lot of practical experience um, of feeling things positive. Uh, I was a doer, a goer, a getter, a fixer, a control freak, whatever. Um, and being that type of personality and having that type of lifestyle doesn't leave a lot of time for slowing down, breathing a bit deeply and feeling in your heart very much. And um, that's how I survived. That's how I survived before I took drugs. That's how I survived growing up. Um, Dad was a drinker. He was a quiet drinker, funny enough, unlike a lot of people that had, you know, more violent backgrounds. My dad was a very gentle person. Um, just looked to drink. And uh, so I can see today, you know, through the program and through doing my own infantry and looking at my own story, that it gave me an awful lot of good, an awful lot of good qualities. And I think it's important to see that sometimes we look back at the brokenness of our relationships and our histories and we go through very painful times and it's hard to see the light or the goodness that was there. Like my, a part of my, my dad, I suppose, was a saint, really. Um, I don't know how he tolerated me for that many years and never, never raised a hand. You know, I know some people's story isn't like that, but I'm just giving an example. And I'm sure everybody has their own examples of a quality that people in their family have, their parents or brothers or sisters. And we have all the other stuff as well, the difficult stuff. Um, so on a feeling, love, you know, is an experience that I didn't really experience that often. Um, I know I fell madly in love, or at least I think I did, it was about 13, I still haven't recovered. I was talking to a friend of mine, she actually moved to Hawaii about 20 years ago from, from Dublin, she's living in LA now, she says, oh she was nasty, that, that Lorna one, she was nasty, I said, I still loved her. Um, you know, so like, we've all been swept away, and I certainly was, and so I knew what that was like, I knew what it was like to fall, and uh, it was great really, I wish I could do it again, I haven't done it in a while, but uh Without, without the consequences, sometimes when you're trying to pick yourself back up and dust yourself off, you know, it seems. But, you know, so for a long time I thought that's just, that was, that's what love was and I went, you know, searching. I'm going to find that again and she'll fix me and it'll all be perfect. You know, Nirvana will be found in the moment of eye contact. Um, and plenty of moments of eye contact in the last you know, in the many years of recovery and met plenty of wonderful people and shared plenty of wonderful experiences, but they, they didn't bring me to Nirvana um, or total peace of mind. What I was, what I, what I'm, I don't like saying that, like what I'm left with. Who I am is myself and I suppose in sort of meditating a bit today on the topic, learning to love myself and others, um, one thing that came to me was, because I'm in a, a, in a relationship at the moment with a partner who's a very, very good person, and uh, I struggle a lot with, you know, the intimacy and getting close. And, and you know, it, but I have to be honest with myself as well. What I always had dif difficulty with was I would try and make things work, you know, make situations work. There must be something wrong with me. I'm sure I'm doing something wrong. It's because I have never, you know, because it's fear. I've got to surrender more. You know, it's. And I go back to the first point I raised, you know, the I am loved, I am loving, I am love. There was so much negative thought in my mind, so many negative beliefs I had about myself that I picked up since childhood from different influences that I couldn't shut them out. So when I'd reach a 
a difficult situation in a love relationship, I'd immediately assume, particularly when we're in recovery and we do we do inventories, you know, we, we sort of we're meant to look for a balanced infantry, you know, the good and the not so good in ourselves and then try and with the help of a higher power change. But I was, you know, be in the situation as I, I'm struggling with at the moment in a relationship, you know, where am I at with this where am I at with this person? Am I causing harm? That's a measure that there's no sort of grey areas with really, you know, and it's one that I use to sort of level myself out if I'm uncertain. But you know, am I to stay in this? Am I to go on? Am I to let the person go? Am I to, how honest am I to get? Obviously, and then not wanting to lose someone that you've become close to. And I'm sure you can all relate to that. And at the same time, not wanting to be so selfish that you're holding on to somebody that you're harming. Um, and that's where I'm at at the moment, on a personal level. Um, so I struggle with love. Um, and, and I've got really angry and pissed about the whole subject and uh, I would prefer to just not, you know, sometimes even go there because I've tried so many times to get a deeper understanding of it and to, you know, it's like I always say, you go to talk to somebody and I love and it's the, about the only thing in the program that people sort of give you a blank, they go, mm, you'll be alright, you'll be fine, go and meditate, you know, read the, whatever stuff. And it's probably right, people don't want to give, tell you what to do, but it's, it's pretty lonely out there when you're trying to find a path. One thing that I haven't done since I came into, well not that I haven't done, but one thing I've tried not to do, um, I, have, I have on a number of occasions, is harm other people. Because, it's interesting, Terry just read out, he got the reading today and I said there's no such thing as synchronicity. Because I, I marked a little reading um, in, the, in the literature and it was, you know, we did many people great harm, but most of all we harmed ourselves. Um, so, you know, learning to love ourselves. Uh, we did many people great harm, but most of all we turned ourselves through our inability to accept personal responsibilities. We were actually creating our own problems. We seemed incapable of facing life on its terms, own terms. Most of us realized that in our addiction we were slowly committing suicide. But addiction is such a cunning enemy of life that we had lost the power to do anything about it. Um, I didn't have any power to change an awful lot of the stuff I discovered when I was doing my inventories and looking back over my past and living on a daily basis and I mean today as well um, left my thoughts and why do I feel that way why am I judging that person why don't I feel close to that person why don't I like that person over there all the stuff I shared earlier on in my head and because I was a thinker, I was a survivor. I mean, I, I was the family rescue, rescuer, if you like, because uh, my dad was drinking or whatever. It gave me a, a false sense of power over life and over situations. Um, but I learned to think really fast on my feet. Uh, and as time went on, and particularly in recovery, it got, it got worse because people said, God, you're really sharp in mind. You know, and I said, you only knew what was really coming up in there. But you know, I could, I could put off the do the whole, the whole business thing, whatever, but then my, my own personal life was falling apart. So when you get more time on the program, I found that it, when you get more distance, you feel more distance between you and that first drug, and your life seems to be going, be, seems to be organized, but on an inside uh, job, 
you're completely in turmoil, which I was and have been, and at times, and I am just at the moment at times. Um, when I say that, what I mean is I'm coming out of a really, really dark patch in recovery. Um, and it's something I've had to come to terms with. Um, I'll say more about that in in in, in a moment. But um, yeah, my mind was I trained my mind to to get me out of every scrape, and we all did. I mean, look at how we survived to get to here. I mean, I was queuing at the convention centre the other day. It was about 500 of us for the first day, uh, Wednesday, I think it was. And uh, just standing in the queue, I was on my own because I hadn't really hooked up with anyone at the time, and most of the people I knew from here were working in service, so they were inside getting organised. I said, imagine this 500 addicts let loose in Waikiki or like all using going, you know, the taxis going, and it just see, it's just an insane vision, you know, 500 running amok, like at least the alcoholics sort of stay in the bars and. You know, annoy the barman. But, you know, we'd be going from place to place. Get me down a visit this And then all of the, the hospitals, the car crashes, the assaults, the robberies, the police, all the police alone just keeps, just keep, and many police would attack, you know. And I said, it's unbelievable the miracle of, of what we have here. And I haven't felt that for a while. I haven't felt that for a long, long while. But just, you know, coming to Hawaii is given. It's absolutely unbelievable. But it's real, we're here. Um, because I was one of those addicts that ran around like a crazy person. You know, my bottom wasn't the same as, as everybody else. I ran a shoe store, family business for a hundred years and all that stuff. And had a car when I got clean, still had a job. I was robbing the family till, you know. And I knew I wouldn't survive. I'm, uh, most of my mates were on the streets and, you know, they were hustling and I knew I wouldn't survive. I knew I would not be cut out for that, you know. Um, but like, uh, when I started crossing all the, the values I had towards the end, I knew I was going down fast. Um, and uh, so I had a spiritual, mental, emotional rock bottom. Uh, at a very very young age, I was only 20, nearly just turning 21 when I got clean. But I still today I could not take another drug. I still know in this minute, in this time, and I've known it every second I've been clean. I'm coming up, I think, on 23 years this Christmas. Um, and I say I think 23, and that sounds crazy because I used to know my I know my clean date kind of goes 7th of December. But I don't really know the year because the last year or two for me has been hell. And I've become, you know, I've become sort of, oh, you know, lost the motivation to, to value those things. To value, you know, the hoo-ha and, you know, give me a hug and roll in. That's that loving feeling of, this is great and let's fucking say it's great. Because in Ireland we don't tend to talk about how great, you know, oh God, don't say you have something. No. Don't let anyone know you made a few bob there now, you know, they cut the legs from under you. It's not like the States. You know, go on, you fail, get up again. It's like you get down, you dirty dog. You want to stay down there now, you That's where you always belong. So it's hard to get up and it's hard to see, to allow yourself to feel good when that's your, your history, you know, when that's, you were downtrodden by, you know, for, for most of your life. So, and there's a couple of points that I just want to make sure I cover um, to you guys today. Um... So it's, a feel, so it's a feeling that 
love that could be experienced. But over the last while for me, I hadn't been experiencing any feelings, only bad. Uh, and they weren't even feelings, they were just a sensation that, like, where in God's name am I? This is the darkest bloody hole I've ever experienced, and there's no words to describe it. And I'm not using, um, I'm not really doing anybody any harm. Um, my behaviour was a little bit crazy, I was back working, which I managed to get some manageability on, you know. I don't know if you can relate to staying in the office at 3 in the morning, having been there from 8 the previous morning. You know, you have to get honest on this program, but that is serious disease in operation. And then the internet, I mean, I've got rid of two or three computers out of my house, you know. And people can guess why. And I get three or six months away from it, and then I get two or three days where I'm like, you know, crazy. But it's not that I'm going to use it or whatever, it's how I feel and what I'm feeling before I do that. What's going on? And I've lost, I've lost the ability to be able to share about what is causing me to be acting out. I may not be picking up drugs, you know. Um, what is causing me to be acting out this way? And you know, you know what happened? Um, I was working away and making money and taking more risks because uh, my life, I started to take bigger risks and it was almost like using because, you know, um, learning to love ourselves. I wasn't loving myself. I wasn't valuing what I'd got, what recovery had given me and keeping it simple. And being humble and saying I'm just glad that I have a roof over my head and that I have friends and family. I wasn't phoning friends and family. I was too busy. So friends and family stopped phoning me back. Because it just got, you know, if it's only so long they can make calls and leave messages and you don't return them. And you know what? I didn't care. I didn't want to phone them back. Uh, and then it got on and on and I was so busy, busy, busy. And um, I reached a point, I'd read about it in some literature or something about about you know overworking but you just reach a point of being totally empty and it hit me it was like the scariest feeling of just nothingness uh, it wasn't even like the spiritual nothingness that we all hear about that we'd like to you know you reach that point of just you realize that you know the ego is deflated and we're just that lovely humble of i'm just one with everybody nothingness it was like an emptiness uh, worse than i felt when I stopped using it, I was just scared. But this was like emptiness. And having come from a person who was actively involved in service, loved conventions, set up the first large convention with a gang of people that came to the World Convention in New York in 83, and the whole thing of recovery and service and loved Narcotics Anonymous and got, you know, got on well with people, helped a lot of people, really. Um, I wasn't able to help myself. And I didn't know how to reach out. And I was angry. I didn't want to fucking reach out. Um, so that's a, that's a strange one, you know. So I started having to try and I didn't. I started looking for answers in books, and I got more confused. But I knew there were certainly stories in there that could, that I could relate to. People had been where I was before. They had been in this black hole, this darkness, and and I suppose my I was lucky most of my life. I don't say I was born lucky, but I was lucky. That I found recovery, obviously. But I, in, in a controlled way, I always got out of jail just before they came. You know, I'd be at the parties, and before they'd bust them, I'd know they were coming. Um, or before someone sort of OD'd, I'd escort them out to the front door and say, You need to get a taxi if I was having a party in my place. I was hyper vigilant to, to, to the extreme, and so I could not relax, I could not enjoy life, I could not have fun, I didn't know how to, you know, it was totally obvious, it was written in my persona. But it kept me uh, safe and it kept me clean in the early days. Not fear kept me clean and kept me safe. Um, 
But um, I don't know where I was going with that now. Um, I'm sure it'll come back. But what I've written down is that um, learning to love ourselves um, is is really a learning because it's been a learning for me because I thought it was something I was just going to get a hold of and then hold on to it forever. Like once you get something, if you buy something, I have it now, that's grand. But it's been the process and the painful process. Um, but the one thing I wanted to leave here today that I think is, is my, lear- my experience, strength and hope on this is that we really have to fight the demons, you know, inside us. And they're not monsters, but they're there. We really have to put in the positive love thoughts and words that we hear from our friends, that we hear from our sponsors, that we hear from each other. We've got to start saying to ourselves, um, we've got to do this for ourselves, together but on our own. It's my recovery. You know, I've written down a little bit about relationships and um, rescue me, fix me, you know, show me the way. And I realized I wasn't just doing that in a relationship sense. It was, I, I always wanted someone to tell me how to live. I always wanted someone to live my life for me so I didn't have to face any, any fears. I didn't have to, like it says there, um, uh, our inability to accept personal responsibilities. I did not want responsibility. If it meant it could be painful, I didn't want it. I often went through a tremendous pain and came out the other side, but only by, I didn't want to actually have to face up to it and say, I'm willing to go through this because I know it's going to make me a better person. If it happens, I'd survive it. But to actually say, no, I'm going to take responsibility for myself. I'm not going to, I'm going to choose to live by the principles. So I wanted someone else to fix me in relationships. I wanted my, whoever was there that would do it, I wanted to, them to do it for me. And what I realized is that in recovery, we sometimes can do that with each other. You know, I, someone, I sing out to someone, they sing out to me. That's nice to an extent. There's a love there that has to be there. But I've got to also do it myself. I've got to work these steps myself. I've got to find the principles and get the knowledge of people who've got experience, but then I've actually got to apply them myself. Um, so that dependency, that defect was in me. Um, the human, it's not, a, it's not that anybody else is not, it's a human, this, a human imperfection, the imperfection of being human. Um, I had to accept that, that I wasn't perfect, because I had everything I'd always, I'd always pulled it off at the last minute. And uh, I had a very tragic experience with a fellow f- member, friend, uh, close, dear, my dearest friend, really, in recovery, because he was always ringing me in the office, trying to get me out on Friday evening to get out early and go and have a meal with the guys and build up a bit of that love that we don't have a lot of in Ireland. In fairness, we, we do have it, but not in the way maybe you guys have as much. It's more difficult for guys to get together in men's groups um, in the same way. Um, but we have got this thing together. Well, we'd been on vacation and we'd, learned, we'd learned scuba dive and the whole thing and, um, in, in Grenada. And uh, we were swimming one day in a place that we'd been there for the whole week and it was chilled out, relaxed, and we were totally relaxed. And he'd gone in the water and there was sort of a reef off the beach. I was relaxed listening to some whatever music and another friend, member from the UK was there. And uh, he just got sucked out over the reef. And freak, wave, whatever. And I just heard the shout and I swam out to the reef and I was a good swimmer and I got up and by the time I got to where he was, he was gone out over and I just see waving. Kieran was his name. Um, and I'll tell you, 
you realize you're powerless when you're standing on a reef and your best mate is out there and you're saying, I'm going in. I've no choice, I'm going in. And uh, you look down and you see the, the wave breaking off the wave thing. You realize it's 10 feet down and it's jagged and it's rough and you're going to get crashed off that reef. So you're not going in. So you try and work another solution. He's still out there waving. That was, that's what happened. And uh, Kieran drowned on that particular day. Um, so for somebody that always had to come on for the last minute, for me it was a wake-up call that threw me into a whole new level of recovery. You know, I didn't have people dying when I was clean and terrible that I've seen my friends, you know, particularly in New York and the area there was a lot of people dealing with people with illness and that. I sort of had an easy ride up to then when I look back. And I, I wasn't able to hack it. For about a year or so I just had a, I was living every second like it was my last. I had a great life. I was living it up and really enjoying life the way it should be loved. But then it hit me, reality. You know, my own life, what was it about, what was I doing? Uh, my own mortality, which we don't maybe like to talk about here, but I've done nothing but talk about it for the last three or four years. Um, because we have a limited time here, and what are we going to do with it? You know, because well, I'm out there making money, doing this, and then I go home and I'm on my own and say, well, what did I do today of any real value to somebody? Okay, I didn't harm anybody, but I could have phoned someone back, I could have gone to a meeting, I could have phoned my bloody mother. You know, who's done so much, you know, for me. Um, we get on well, I mean, I don't, I don't say it badly, I do call it, I call it this, but just on a heart level, I could have picked up the phone on a heart level and said, how you man, how's it going? Rather than, yeah, yeah, on the phone, like, oh, yeah, that's fine, yeah, yeah, I get you the tickets on the internet, yeah, that's fine, okay, when are you going back to Spain, okay, come on. Like, because that self-centeredness, that selfishness, that fear that drives all that, is still there. And the problem is, these people are going to be gone, and the harm is going to be there. You know, we've done our best, but we, we have an opportunity, because we're clean, to make the difference. An experience on the beach today um, that just reminded me of many experiences, and I'm not being judgmental when I say it. It's just to point out, uh, I think cause I've done it myself, um, consciousness, being conscious of each other, being conscious of people around us. And when I'm in my work mode or fear mode, I'm just not conscious. Um, unless there's a crisis, you know, if someone is really in difficulty or distress, I'll be there. Okay, hang on, you need an ambulance? Okay. But on the smaller, this is subtle things, you know. But there's a couple on the beach, and um, he was going off somewhere, and he was saying, I, but the young fellow was standing in front of me, he was only eight or nine, and he was, everyone was going in the water, and I just got out of the water, and he was saying, oh, can I go in the water just for two minutes? They were going on some trip, so obviously he only had two or three minutes, and I was, he could have gone in for a minute or two, but the dad was there with the partner, and said, oh, no, uh, no, no, we're going, we're going to go up there now, and we're going for the coach, and so he sits down on this twitching his feet, the young fellow, you know, at the end of the, the, the mother is staying there for the day on the beach, obviously, and they're talking. I just hear the dad, then you had this for breakfast, like that for breakfast, like this for breakfast, like the other. And given the whole, you know, history of what he had for breakfast, and um, that's, but the uncle just asked him, can he get into the water for a minute? You know, like life is short, and here's the moments, you know. Uh, as I found when I came to Hawaii for six weeks, you know, just the water, the whole energy that's here is so spiritual if you can tap into it, and. Uh, so I was just, you know, don't get involved, it's not good, there's nothing to do with you, you know, just detach, say a prayer, you know. I looked down, the uncle is in the water rolling his shorts up, and he hasn't even asked, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, because I said, great, that guy's going to go places, you know, because they were in a different world, but, you know, just sometimes we miss the moment, the little simple thing. It's the little simple reaching out or noticing someone that's isolating a little bit or someone looking at it down or whatever. That's, I think, where the, the little moments of love, and, and, and I find it difficult to do something because I'm so self-obsessed and preoccupied sometimes. Um, we're getting on near the time, so I'm going to just try and... Then one or two things I want to say. Yeah. I came up with a little saying that this morning. It was meditating. Principles are our guiding stars, but they're not always easy to see. Um, like that's what it's been for me. I know the principles. Uh, I know what they are. I know that I should try and be more tolerant, understanding, forgiving, or whatever. But I need to sometimes, when I'm going through the struggles and the difficulties, um, I don't always give myself enough time to get enough peace to see that the answer could be there and to try and, to try and uh, work it. Um, the one, the one um, two things I had here, and I want to finish with a story if I can, that I just picked up in a little book, so I hope nobody's offended. It's, non, it's not partic- no particular spiritual leaning, but it's just a little story that, that touched me personal note to it um, but as a result of the dark stages I've been going through um, and you know I say it because a couple of things I wanted to say was like if you've got like a lot of old timers in your group or people with a bit of time you know we've got to find a way you've got to find a way to get to us guys because you know you hear stories from all over the fellowship all over the world of people with a lot of time going out doing crazy things and whatever because there's different stages in recovery there's different levels no one's going to map them out or anything in any special thing but just stuff happens and uh, I was speaking to Tom Tom McCall here he was over in Ireland recently at our European convention he just said ask me just things change and you've got to go back to meetings in a, diff- in a different way you know it's not the same as when you came in the first week the hoo-ha is gone in a different way it's a different type of hoo-ha but you've got to find it but it's not easy because it's not mapped out so, you know, um, the people that have helped me have been newcomers that have come up to me and said, Austin, you're coming back to do a charity meeting, you come over to our meeting, and, but in a totally non-judgmental way. That's the important thing I say, because I could not, I've, you know, could not, my pride could not, if somebody came up and said to me, geez, you look terrible bad, you look very down, you know, uh, you trying to go for a meeting, and I don't know, bad. It wasn't just pride, it was just the hurt that was there, the, 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 the darkness, if you like, the struggle. Um, so, I was a perfectionist, I was a control freak, um, that's how I kept my security, but security is in, has to be in my higher power today, because I learned that from that experience, that tragic experience. For some reason I was, I was kept here, um, and I have to make value of that, rather than, um, I'd written down here, shame and guilt, and when we do our inventories and shame and guilt, the, two, the things that held me back from loving myself are if I'm blaming myself about something, or if I'm carrying guilt or shame about something. Now, we've all done things. I've done things. I'll tell you, after that tragedy, I, was, I only read about survivor guilt two and a half years later. And I said, you know, there was nothing I could have done that day. I'd been over it so many times in my head. But survivor guilt. So you're not going to let yourself have any fun. You're not going to let yourself have any joy. You're not going to let yourself live. You're not going to let yourself feel the joy of the program. You're not going to let yourself feel the freedom. You're going to beat yourself up without the drugs. And it's guilt and shame. 
of what I have done or what I have not done. Um, I did inventories in the early days with uh, uh, Forza Adventures, but it wasn't just the sponsor listening to my inventories as a problem or my higher power. I, could, I would not let go. But we need to know, I think we need to identify that whatever is holding us back. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't knock it on the head and say, if I can look at the situations that I'm feeling bad about, that I'm carrying good and shame about, to share about them with somebody and then to just start the process of forgiving myself. Um, and I can't do that for anybody because I know I took years before I let myself off the hook. But you can just as easily do it today. Um, because that is the love that I have found with a higher power that is unconditional, that is out there. Just I could not reach it. Like the stars, I could not, I could not touch it because it was me that was locked inside myself. And I'm going to finish on this. Little, I hope I'm not going on to it. Oh, okay. Um, this little story. My brother's in recovery, by the way, um, nine months after me, and he's still clean, which is a real miracle. Um, because I've had a lot of friends who've lost a lot of brothers in recovery, and I lost a lot of friends in using as well uh, before I got clean. Um, and one of the things I was moaning about all year uh, was my brother's married now, he's got three kids, he dealt with a child from a previous relationship, he's now got custody of the hell, he went through the court, he's keeping it all together, he's only got one job, he's not too obsessive about work, he doesn't have 15 projects on the go, uh, you know, I'm in a relationship, I'm uncertain, you know, why are we so different? Uh, I fucking really had a resentment. Um, but you know what I learned uh, is that we all have a purpose, and I used to hate people saying that, but all I can say is as time goes on in recovery, we have a purpose and we have to find our own purpose. And to do that, I've got to be true to myself, and that's a challenge. And that means getting through fear, and that means developing faith, more faith than I, than I had before. That, that purpose, that journey may not involve me getting married, may not involve me having a family, may not involve whatever. I'm not in control of that purpose. If I'm going against and trying to make myself fit to somebody else's life, if I'm comparing, as we all know, I'm in dangerous territory. So I've got to love myself enough to know I'm loved enough by a higher power that I'm going to be shown the way. Because, you know, when we're in the flow, we know we're in the flow. Um, uh, I love playing the piano. I was playing the pia- sad story, really. I was playing the piano for about a half an hour in the last month, and someone said to me, do you know I enjoy playing that piano for the half an hour? more than I did the last three months of all the projects that done all the money I'd done. And I mean, I wasn't just on a space high. I actually felt at peace, enjoying myself, relaxed, connected to myself, or my brother's self, or my family, or the guy down the road, or somebody else doing it. So we, we all know our, how we can connect. I'll finish on this uh, little story I picked up. And part of it is something I believe in. It's the old uh, idea of a story being able to convey a message that we've lost through a lot of the media and the internet and the fact that we're all so busy. We are in Ireland now, anyway, uh, racing around the place, whatever. But, you know, the old way was sort of telling, passing on messages through stories. And I think it's something that relates we do here in NA uh, on a daily basis as well. Time before time, when the world was young, two brothers shared a field and a mill. Each night they divided evenly the grain they had ground together during the day. Now, as it happened, one of the brothers lived alone. The other had a wife and a large family, lo and behold. One day, the single brother thought to himself, It isn't really fair that we divide the grain evenly. I have only myself to care for, but my brother has children to feed. 
So each night he secretly took some of the grain to his brother's granary to see that he was never without. But the married brother said to himself one day, It isn't really fair that we divide the grain evenly because I have children to provide for me in my old age, and my brother has no one. What will he do when he's old? So every night he secretly took some of his grain to his brother's granary. As a result, both of them always found a supply of grain mysteriously replenished every morning. Then one night the brothers met each other halfway between their two houses, suddenly realized what had been happening and embraced each other in love. The story is that God witnessed their meeting and proclaimed, This is a holy place, a place of love, and here it is that my temple shall be built. And so it was, the holy place where God is made known is the place where human beings discover each other in love. The spirituality of imperfection is such a place. Thanks very much for giving me the opportunity. Thank you. Now I would like to introduce our second speaker, and it's Sally Chi from California. Please. Hi everyone, I'm Sally and I'm an addict. Can you hear me good enough? Do I have to lean into the microphone or anything? Well, first I want to thank Austin for sharing and um, getting the spiritual stuff out of the way. I have much less of a burden now. <clears throat> I also took notes. Um, I had a very spiritual, spiritual pitch outlined. I've been working on it for three months. And um, I just had to cross out most of the stuff, so it's been covered. Anyway... Well, I know people come to uh, World Convention meetings and have this tremendous expectation of, you know, these spiritual giants at the podium just going to really tell you all how to do it because you all know that we're selected for these um, topics because we're just, you know, internationally known for knowing how to love self and others. And everybody who knows me knows that I'm just great at loving myself. (laughs) Not. But um, I think it's more like Archer said last night at um, the Thursday night meeting when her, her sponsor tells her that whenever she's asked to share, it's because the, universal, the universe knows that she's in dire need of support. And um, God knows I need help in this area of learning to love self and others. Um, I went to the NA History um, workshop. It's not a workshop. It's a room where you can go in and go through the stuff and look at NA History on my quest to become spiritually aligned for this workshop. So I was walking around in there and, you know, trying to act like I liked everything in there and, you know, whatever, all smiling. And I went over to the basic text and I looked up a couple things to make sure I still know how to, you know, share. And um, the thing I, I think I did write down, though, so I could quote, because it's the one thing that really keeps me going and I think it's like the basis for me of my program in the area of learning to love self and others is something from the seventh step, which I can't find now. Um, but it says that it, the seventh step says something like, humility is honestly trying to accept who we are and simply try to be ourselves. And I guess for me, a, a way, 
a path perhaps to self-love, loving others, has been through the steps, obviously, because if I had it all worked out, I never would have had to come to N.A. Didn't have to rip my heart out and say, oh, I want to. <laughs> no, that wouldn't have been me. I'm not one of the girls that drank one too many pink squirrels and wrecked Daddy's car. And um, that's supposed to be funny. <laughs> I guess you can tell by looking at me that I'm not one of the girls that drank one too many pink squirrels. Um, so anyway, uh, this brings me to a part where I really want to start. Now, you all have been to meetings, I'm sure, where you have speakers that get up here and say, okay, I just want to take a moment, and we all want to say the serenity prayer. I want you all to say the serenity prayer. Now, I do not want you all to say the serenity prayer. Don't worry. We've already said that. But I think the reason that speakers have us do that is what? So they can get centered spiritually? That's what we think. But being here, the real reason is so that you can get centered spiritually. So you won't sit in judgment. You'll have an open heart and an open mind. And you'll listen and send me love. You guys are really slow. <laughs> okay, so I'll move, go a little faster. So anyway, the, um, the serenity prayer lasted like one fucking second, right? And we're back to ourselves. <laughs> I wish people would shut up already. So now I'm going to give you a meditation that you can keep with you as I speak, right? And you can use it in all the days of your lives. And I heard it on a tape a while ago, and I tell it to everybody I know, and it works for me in business, it works for me in meetings. And um, if it doesn't work for you, I'll give you one after that, so just be patient. And so um, this is one of those things where it's like one of those spiritual things, and you breathe in calm. So everybody breathe in calm, and you breathe out smile. Calm, smile. And just imagine whatever fucking situation you're in. If you think to breathe in calm, smile, your lips will start twitching pretty soon. Your lips will be twitching, and you'll find yourself so enamored of yourself and what you're doing at that moment that you will smile. And when people see you smile, they'll think you're insane, or they'll smile back. And then everybody's happier. So that's what you all can do, just calm, smile. And I'll watch your little mouth twitch. Now, then here, if that doesn't work for you and you find yourself in a place where the person is speaking on something you have absolutely no interest in or something that's actually pissing you off, like maybe you're somewhere and they're talking about the other fellowship or they're doing whatever it is that you hate it when people do, there's a new one you can work with. I discovered this morning as I was trying to get ready for this workshop and I thought of my mind, and it was... Breathe happy. Breathe happy. <laughs> happy, happy. And I did that about four or five times before I realized I wasn't doing calm smile. And that just cracked my ass up. And I looked in the mirror and I said, I love me. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I'm the last person that would ever look at myself in the mirror and say, I love me. Um, you know, uh, it's really hard to talk about this topic. Um, Austin did a great job. I understand the need to take notes on a topic like this because this is not an intellectual process, in my experience, right? It's a spiritual process. It's sometimes quickly, 
sometimes slowly. And it happens by being clean. It happens by being out of obsession with self. And, you know, that's a little bit harder to talk about. So I can talk a little bit about the things that I've done that haven't worked. You know, I have a lot of intellectual processes that I've tried to follow in the last 22 years to come to this place because, you know, I've been known for my uh, rampant self-hate. It's not exactly what I'm known for now. Hey, Brian, Chuck's over there. <laughs> when I got clean 22 years ago, I just had my birthday. I was 22 on the 22nd of August. It was great. Yay! That's the one in a lifetime, right? 22 on the 22nd. Katie and Katha. Um, when I first got clean, one of the very first times I ever spoke, I was whatever, you know, I was really full of a lot of self-hate, and I did a lot of physically self-destructive things over my course of life, and not all of them stopped when I got clean. You know, a lot of them stopped when I got clean, like I stopped um, sleeping around. That was something I learned that was very hard to pull off when I was, like, clean, you know? It really wasn't the same thing at 10 minutes to 2, you know, just all perky eyes. Hi, you ready to go home? You know, didn't work. A lot of my behavior stopped when I got clean. Some of them didn't. The self-hate, the beating myself up, the guilt, the shame. For me, the binging, purging, vomiting, over-exercising, um, over-successful at work, all the kinds of things that I did on a daily basis to manage and control myself. A lot of the things didn't stop. But it didn't seem to me that the other people were talking about those things. Everybody around me seemed to be fine. And whenever they spoke in meetings, they talked about what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like now. They shared their experience, strength, and hope. But it seems to me that it was always in the past tense. It drove me insane. I felt like I was the only one in the room that still lived in my disease, even though I wasn't using it. That was very irritating. So I said, fuck then, I'm just going to share my story. And so I become one of those people that always just says what's going on. And uh, most of the time, it's been a recovery-based big picture. Little picture might not seem too recovery-oriented. <laughs> it's a bigger picture that counts, you know. Anyway, what I'm trying to say here is I spoke about this stuff that I was doing and how much I hated myself and how that, that was fine because that's who I was and that's how I thought and that didn't stop me from getting up and going to work and staying clean and blah, 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 blah. And at the end of this meeting, this woman asked me to sponsor her. I was like, why? And she said with a straight face, she said, you know, you are the first person I've ever heard talk who seemed to hate herself as much as I do. And you seem to be okay with that. And I want that. It doesn't matter how sick you are. There's, there's always somebody sicker. And I said, okay. Okay, yeah. And um, uh, so that was a place where I did something that somebody asked. And if anybody's ever worked with another person, been sponsored or sponsored or has a friend in the program that you ever shared with, you know that when two people spend any time together and connect in that place, it's happy. Even if it breathes happy or a calm smile. 
it's fair, right? And that was 20, about 21 and a half years ago for me. And I have had many, many more of those moments that bring me to that place of loving others. I'm not one of the people that learned to love myself before I could love others. And you know, I'm not one of those people that say I love myself, although I have to tell you that for the last three days, every breath I take, I think, is this loving self? Is this self loving? Am I loving you? Yes. <laughs> I hate all you people messing with me. You know, it's like every day, every breath, I just say, it's okay. You'll, you'll make it. I thought it was Saturday at 9. Thank God it's Friday at 1. Get over faster. <laughs> you know, I said, um, I'm not one of the people that learn to love myself and then learn to love others. I don't have a time, I don't have a date when things clicked and I became a person who's happy with misery at times from the person who is miserable that had happy at times. My friend Jill and I have decided it doesn't really matter because we're miserable all the time, but so what? We're happy when we do it. And we look for God in everything, you know? Do you know the people around you who are always just unhappy, but they're happy all the time? They're always telling jokes and you love being with them, even though they have this, like, dark side of life and they always have their stuff coming out? There's people like us. We have a place in the program. There's other people who are just happy, joyous, and free all the time. I like them, too. They make me very nervous, and I don't know what planet they come from, but I like them very much. My husband is one of those people, Chuck, Leon, and Diana. I met them. They all had, like, you know, happy faces, and I thought to myself, God, these people just have bright lights coming out of their head and, and happy, empty heads. <laughs> I always thought, you know, happiness was for the, um, well, for the, the intellectually superior of us in life weren't happy. So this is about self-love, not happiness. Some people are so good. So earlier in my recovery, when it was apparent that I was very much into self-hate and I was vomiting like five times a day and doing various other physical things that I really needed to get a handle on, that they were really, really hurting me, and yeah, five years clean, and I was like recovering. I was supposed to be well, and all this stuff. I had these other things going on. I really had to, I really had to take some positive action. So I got a sponsor, and she told me that um, I needed to do. I was going to say apparitions, um, affirmations. Now I hope nobody takes this personally. If these things work for you, I mean, good, right? I'm just sharing you my experience because you might be like me where these things don't work. So um, she gave me a very simple one. I am a beautiful child of God, and I deserve love. And I'm sure that I am. I know that you are. So I started that, and I'm a beautiful child of God, and I deserve love. <laughs> and then I started working out. Now, as I lost weight and got physically fit, I was much more deserving of love. Oh, the better I looked, the more deserving of love I was. I got a better job and made more money. I was really deserving of love then. The bigger the paycheck, the more the love that was coming in. The more I loved myself, the more I loved you. That's all going really well, right? First couple of years of recovery. Then somebody reads to me that line in the basic text that says, I don't know what, spiritual recovery doesn't equal social acceptability or some bullshit. I just ignored it. So... I maintained my path, you know, of, of learning to love self through outside activity, and I broke my foot working out, but I thought that was something that, you know, fat people did, bad people did, so um, I just kept working out on it anyway, because I thought I'd just make it go away. Yeah, make it go away. 
So I kept working out, and my foot got really swollen, and I wrapped it up, and pretty soon I'm limping and buy a bigger size shoe on one side, not the other. And I'm still doing my aerobics and my matching outfit with the other people. We're at this gym where the um, women are exercising. This is like in the 80s, okay, so it's, you know, cement floors. And the women exercise in the front, and we have big mirrors. And the men do weights in the back where they watch us, and we watch them watching us. And it's just like 90 minutes. Ooh. God, it was so hot in there, you know. And, um, God, my foot hurt so much I could not stand. And one day I left that gym, and I was walking across the street, and my foot missed the curb. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm never going to get anywhere. I just can't even exercise right. And I've broken my foot, and I start this self-hating, you know, just berating myself. And I'm like in the middle of the street in Los Angeles, you know, one block off of La Brea. So I'm like taking two more steps, and it's like, wait, those are negative affirmations. Whatever I tell myself is going to come true. I'm going to create my own reality. I say I can't do it. I'll never be able to do it. So I stop. And I'm a beautiful child of God, and I deserve love. Stop. And I just fucking fell down. I started crying. I can't do any of this. It's all too much for me. I give up. I never exercised again for years. I gave up totally. Threw it all out the window, everything gone. Just went back to my little self hating life. Quit telling people about it. And um, stayed clean. Right? thought, well, you know, that didn't work out too well. I'm not telling anybody else what's going on with me for a while. <laughs> it's like, no, not going to talk about that. So uh, affirmations and a lot of really focused, constructive work on the outside did not make me love myself or others anymore. However, I still do a lot of focused, constructive work on the outside, and, you know, it's good. It's not bad. It's good. I, my husband loves the fact that I make a big paycheck. He tells people that all the time. My wife has a real job. That's good because now he thinks he gets to retire early. So I can keep working forever. And that's me loving me and him loving me. <laughs> so the affirmations didn't work. But the thing that I said that kept happening was I stayed clean. And by staying clean, I stayed in service which obviously is the most loving thing that we do, right? Because we show up and we serve the program. On anybody's worst day, coming to the meeting, serving the program. The other thing I learned then was that, yes, it was true, I was pitiful, pathetic, and the saddest and lonely, but no, while it was true that I was pitiful and pathetic and the saddest and loneliest girl in the world, I should still at every meeting try to find someone who is sadder and lonely and more pathetic than me. And I should go up to that person and I should say, how are you? And I should not say how I am. I should talk to that other person. And that has been something that has really, really been helpful. It also makes people think that I'm really compassionate and caring. So, you know, am I really compassionate and caring? I don't know. I act with compassion. Right? And it's the action that actually guides my life. We're a program of action. We act our way into the right thinking. Right? So the actions that I've taken have very often been contrary to my first thoughts. Just like my husband always says, you know, his first thought is wrong. Ignore it, keep going. Ignore it, keep going. Now, yesterday I wanted to spend the entire day in bed. 
because I needed to rest up for this pitch. <laughs> In case I didn't do well. So, and um, I had all kinds of other things planned, obviously, you know. Um, I had a commitment to my friend Tara. Oh, yes, I'll meet you at 9 o'clock and I'll stand in line in the merchandise with you. Yes, I will. And, um, and I'll meet you there. But could I, you know, just build in my back door? Because I want to be a woman of her word. But since I don't ever really do what I say I'm going to do, I try to build in these back doors because then I can lie to myself. So I tell her, well, I'll meet you over there. But in the meantime, I have to go out snorkeling first. So, okay, I've got to go snorkeling first. And we get lost. I get back late. And, well, I don't really want to stand in line because you know, I'm tired now. And I have to be. And so I'm laying in bed. And I'm, my brain is running through a series of excuses. And it's like this, no, that one's not good enough. Okay, we'll kind of put another one. I don't know if anybody else knows this one where you just listen to your head long enough. And it finally came to one that made sense to me. The rationalization that worked that kept me in bed the extra three hours. Oh, well, I'm going to go to the main meeting tonight and then to the luau, so I need to rest. Just like that. My, my head my, wasn't my first thought, but it was the same first thought process, which was, let's keep Sally in bed by herself, feeling isolated and lonely, and feeling like shit about herself. And I listened to it. Now with my disease. I just welcome my disease. Oh, hello, honey. How are you? What do you have to say today? Come in bed with me. We'll stay here. Hey, you know, it sucked. Thank God Tara called me again, got me out of bed. I went to the beach for an hour. Then I lied to my husband. I didn't meet him over here when I was supposed to, you know. It's like, But that is how I am on a continuing and ongoing basis. I get up every single day, and I am still here. And I'm still with me, right? Always. Me, God, and my pillow. They were always there together, you know, that things work for me no matter what. And uh, my head is still with me. It tells me anything it thinks I need to hear in order to do whatever it thinks I need to do. And it's my job to stay close enough to other people to know if that's the right thing to do or not. Now, when I'm trying to make a decision, I don't want anybody to know my thought processes. I know that there's something wrong there. When I'm doing things, I'm not going to tell anybody. Like when I make decisions to go to work, go out to the bar after work with friends, and I get there first and order Bloody Mary and order Virgin Marys, because I don't want to look stupid sitting in a bar waiting for people. And I don't tell anybody that. But I know there's something wrong. And I'm not ordering that because I like spicy tomato juice. <laughs> So that's one of the things that I've known about understanding who I am and what makes me work. So the next thing about that, instead of being lost in the disease of self-hatred, which separates me from me and me from you, because when I, because I get into this self-pity place where it's like, they'll be so much better off without me. I'll just bring people down. I better not go. I'm talking to the dinner table with my kids. <laughs> I was like, I, I better not go out to dinner. I'm like, That'd be better off. I'm not a very good cook anyway. <laughs> so the self-acceptance, like back to the basic text. I accept what I feel, and I take contrary action most of the time. You know, um, and I just laugh all the time at myself because I'm such a piece of work. We all are. We all are, you know. Um, 
I think that the, the only real way to loving self and others is the freedom from active addiction. Right? And living the program, which then takes us to freedom from ourselves. Let me check my notes. That's really, that's really it. Now, I just want to know, how many of you have had to do Breathe Happy? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hands, obviously. You know, the thing is, like, we are all in this together, right? It's so great. It's really, really hard to not love the people in the room who have sat and listened to me for this past 30 minutes, you know? And we all do that for each other because we know what it feels like. And every one of us just wants to be loved. Even the creepiest person in the room just wants to be loved. And just remember that to somebody else, you could be the creepy person. I'm really pleased to have been asked to come and share, and I want to thank Austin again. And thank you all for letting me share. Okay. So let's thank Austin and Sally one more time. Please uh, help me make this circle and close the meeting with the third step prayer. I am Susanna Manatic. We do recover. When at the end of the road we find that we can no longer function as a human being, either with or without drugs, we all face the same dilemma. What is there left to do? There seems to be this alternative. Either go on as best we can to the bitter end, jails, institutions, or death, or find a new way to live. In years gone by, very few addicts ever had this last choice. Those who are addicted today are more fortunate. For the first time in man's entire history, a simple way has been proving itself in the lives of many addicts. It is available to us all. This is a simple, spiritual, not religious program known as Narcotics Anonymous. Now, after a moment of silence, uh, join us in the third step prayer.